0: Test your might. Prepare yourself. Enter the ring. Mortal Kombat Hold and sing with me.
1: Fight. Who can do it better? Mortal
0: Kombat Mortal Kombat Mortal Kombat.
1: Alright, I'm gonna go ahead and say that I definitely have a much stronger uh, Mortal Kombat than you. We can, we, we'll put it up for a vote on Facebook. How about we settle this right now when I fucking
0: uppercut your head into a pit of spikes, you lazy fuck? Look, this is blood! This is violence! This is fucking rat ass dudes fighting ninjas in fucking space China with wizards and hot chicks and cyborg black dudes with no last names! This is it! This is the apex of everything we've been
1: working for! I- <laughs> I am your shape-shifting wizard, Jake Young. And I am your reptilian bruiser, Holden McNeely, and let's talk about Mortal Fucking Combat, Jake. The game that, um, in many ways, um, uh, defined my childhood, uh, I would have to say. A game that I have so many different memories associated with that game. Uh, I have so many, um, just the different things too. How it affected arcade culture, how it affected home console culture. It was essentially like video games became a teenager in 1992 or whatever it was, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Like, video games essentially went from being cartoony and super kiddy and super, like, um, super clean to, like, smoking cigarettes, man. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I was there for it. I think I, – I, I was thinking about this um, – I was on a run earlier, and I was thinking, like, in my head. I was like, man, it, we, it really is we are. Well, – I'm obsessed with video games because it really is the f- one art form that I've seen grow in my lifetime mm-hmm. from child baby steps to – being full fledged like adult experiences, but it's it, it's the fact that this is one of the like this is the most. Fucking nineties
0: ass thing that has ever existed, and it still persisted and survived to this day is amazing. Like yeah. a- almost every piece of the puzzle is nineteen ninety two to nineteen ninety five in a nutshell. Uh, they we're making this a two parter, and so we're just going to cover the uh the first three games and uh, basically the two D era.
1: Yeah, essentially the sprite era, and then uh, next week we will be getting into the dark days for the franchise and the. The re- rejuvenation of the franchise, the redemption story of this Mortal Kombat, the series of video games is—it uh, might as well be a metaphor for Jesus Christ Himself—is <laughs> what I'm telling you, people, and, right
0: now. And honest to God, Christian theology is basically the one weird version of superstition that hasn't been folded into the Mortal Kombat uh, like mythology because this is. This is one of my favorite things about Mortal Kombat and, like, what I was trying to get a handle on is what makes its aesthetic so unique. And it's because it's based in a universe where, like, everything from Hong Kong action movies to Japanese folklore to, like, history to uh, just everything that was, like, the mysterious... It was, like, the last possible work of, like, mainstream fiction Uh that just... Took every weird, half-remembered piece of shit thing from Asian culture and just smashed it together because, like, there wasn't enough information and in a Wikipedia and like granularity to be like, no, I actually prefer Korean folk dancing. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, the Mortal Kombat universe is a fucking hodgepodge of just, just stuff white dudes thought was cool about totally, Asian
1: shit. Totally. And it's amazing. Totally. And and just and then throw all that unbelievable violence into the mix all of the secrets my favorite thing is probably about this about the early games especially are the secrets mm. and the and the talk around all of these different um uh oh i heard this is in the game and this is in the game and but but unlike street fighter where you'd be like oh rumor 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 but it would never turn out to be true this game like it was always true <laughs> like
0: seeing and even if it was fake they'd in the next game they'd make they'd put it, it true it in,
1: and seeing like Babalities and shit too And just being like They really don't give a fuck You know what I mean Like they're just putting in Whatever they want And and having as fun As as much fun as they want to have You know And that was such a cool Thing to see It was so exciting To go to the arcade And see stuff like
0: that And then like to To hit the nail on the head This game basically ushered in uh, a tectonic shift in how video games were kind of marketed and sold and how it kind of, yeah, like you said, smoking in the bathroom got the bad boy energy about it because uh, basically Mortal Kombat was such a phenomenon that Nintendo basically had to call its mommy and daddy and get the Senate involved to try and shut that shit down. Yeah, There is actual footage of, like, Senator Joe Lieberman talking to Howard Lincoln from Nintendo, where, like, he's being like, we were good little boys and we censored the blood, but all these meanies (laughs) are just making the children kill each other. And, yes,
1: some children did kill each other. Sure.
0: But that would have happened
1: anyway. Totally. Yeah, children would kill each other no matter what they read or eat or where they piss or how they shit. The
0: the idea behind Mortal Kombat is a full throated embrace of the idea of stimulation for stimulation's sake. Yes, if. They had made Mortal Kombat today if that same like kind of attitude went into a game today. It would literally be a weird free to play thing where like you bought loot boxes to see porn clips and uh-huh. sold it
1: to eight year olds because who gives a fuck? Just get those quarters, yes, get the fucking quarters. Probably one of the last bastions of the quarter grab i mean really before it all went and you actually watch it happen with mortal Kombat Mm -hmm. and the hoopla around the arcade scene but then that you seeing that hoopla transfer very well into the console market and seeing very obviously where things were going to head eventually just seeing that transition of oh it's out in arcades and now mortal monday is gonna fucking uppercut your head off And rip your spine out. Can we talk about some memories of playing these first games? I would love to talk about that before we even get into the history and all of that stuff. Because I have so many different ones. One of my big ones. The sight of
0: blood drove me to madness. I was eight years old and I ripped my
1: shirt off screaming, give me more blood. I want the blood. I remember when I got it on Sega Genesis. I think I probably rented it. I don't think I ever owned the first one. I think the only one I owned was three, which I bought night of release. I remember going to the store. I had pre ordered a copy and getting it the very the, the day it was released. I got I gotta pick it up that night and play it and I was like so hyped for it. Um but I remember renting it and my brother getting all and I getting all excited and and we learned some fatalities. They were all they were pretty hard to do. And I remember the first one the easiest one was the spine ripout for Sub Zero and we were just like flabbergasted that this existed in a video game, that this video game existed in my room, that we were seeing this on the screen, looking around, you know, like doing that, look around, like where are the parents? Where are the parents? Get, keep them away from this. They will never allow us to have, would normally allow us to be playing this. This was back when you still had a honest to God bedtime on the clock. Sure. And here
0: on your precious, on a toy that you got on Christmas Eve surrounded by Giga and Gim Gam. Was the fucking blood machine.
1: And then on top of that, uh, okay, so Mortal Kombat 2. My buddy Pat, I, I, who I mentioned all the time, he's like, dude, you got to come with me, man. I've been going to Walmart. And Walmart had this little arcade. So he was going, like, on the rag on weekends. Like and full th-
0: cabinets. like
1: Full cabinet, uh, tiny little arcade. It had, like, three or four cabinets. But it had Mortal Kombat 2. And there was a group of dudes always there, just hovered over it. Just who knew the con- who knows the fatalities? Who can beat who? And we wouldn't even play the game. We would we would stand there, inti- completely intimidated, because these dudes were like older than us, and just watch people play it. Because it's like, who knows who's going to know some secret about it? Who's going to be able to unlock something, or really just do those amazing fatalities? And on, on at that game looked amazing in the arcade, like like compared to what was out there at the time. Um, also, all of the different games that it inspired um just these ridiculous over the top bloody i'm trying to think of some one big failed one is like tattoo assassins right but Mm -hmm. but that one never really came out but there were so many copycat mortal Kombat games all of a sudden where it was just like ludicrous violence very little in terms of gameplay and just like full of just just essentially, you telling your parents to go fuck your fuck themselves, right? Like that was essentially what what the whole thing represented. It was like it was essentially teen teenage rebellion in a in a video game cartridge. You know, it was like I know I'm not supposed to be doing this. This is so bad, and yet it really wasn't. You know what I mean? It really wasn't even that. Uh, in but, hindsight,
0: like uh, you can find this on YouTube. I, I'm not going to get so hung up on it, but uh, watching the YouTube clips of the senate hearing uh-huh. them showing like the clips from Mortal Kombat and Night Trap which yeah, are Trap. so tame
1: so tame
0: so like the most vanilla not Well what's funny thing. is
1: is people would probably refer to those games as problematic but for like completely different reasons now. Oh yeah you know yeah what yeah. I mean like in terms of how they treat like women and how they treat uh Asian culture and it completely other ways than it's violent. Like the violence is like, especially compared to Mortal Kombat X, which obviously we're going to get into next week. <laughs> but even recently, there's something about it. Even recently, I, 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 I was oh, I brought it to a friend's place, and, and these are grown adult, uh, married couple with kids. My buddy Jeff, who I host cocktails with, and all of a sudden it is it is a room full of grown ass adults. And I'm just showing them all the different fatalities in the game. And we're just like marveling and like high fiving and shit and just are hooked on seeing just extreme violence after extreme violence after extreme violence. Like we're in a fucking Roman Coliseum. There's just something that's just like so awesome about that. Just, I had
0: picked up a uh, Mortal Kombat XL just for like research sake and it yeah. was on sale on Steam. And uh, I was just casually like dicking around with it. And uh, Marie was on the couch next to me like watching something on her tablet and just By sheer happenstance, she picked out, like she popped open her headphone and like looked up from her screen exactly when as Kung Lao I was creating using my hat as a buzzsaw and kicking Jason Voorhees's masked face into it as it split his skull yeah. horizontal bifurcating his skull exposing his brain tissue yeah. and she screamed because that's not a normal thing to just catch meanwhile I'm just like scratching my nuts being like yeah, well, yeah. I mean that was like the easy fatality I should learn the other ones
1: like it's, it's so great. Um, I, I, there, there's yeah. I it, it's definitely a game I've seen um, itself grow up in a lot of ways that you know and 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 now it's just gleefully leans into those things that made it so like uh, you know can't play this. I remember. You know, making fun of my friend when I went over to his place to play Mortal Kombat 2 on his SNES and being like, oh, you have the, like, baby version of this game. Yeah,
0: Mortal Kombat by 2, they Nintendo folded up and was and maybe like...
1: Maybe it was the first one. Yeah. I think it was the first one. I went over to his place to play it and I was like, oh, you have the baby version. You... Like, where's the blood? Like, what is this sweat? What is this? Like, oh, you can't do those. And that being like a whole funny thing, you know, being like, I don't want to play it like this. I want to play the fucking bad boy. You know, I want to play the real kid version of it. You know,
0: oddly enough, the core memory of Mortal Kombat isn't so much the shock at the violence, but being a child, like being at, I think, like maybe a pizza hut or something or some combo pizza arcade place and seeing the game for the first time and being genuinely in awe of how did they get people in the machine
1: yeah because i was about, this about is to mention something... that as well i i remember having long conversations being like this is where this is i've never seen anything like this there's real people it's, it's the this console is where versions graphics the are, sprites headed. are way smaller the animation mm-hmm.
0: is missing frames the effects aren't as good cuz yeah, they and, had uh,
1: memory restrictions and in arcade you really see it and and being like oh my god video games are going to look like real life eventually and mm-hmm. this is like the first step towards that. And what's funny is I, I almost prefer a more stylized looking game that's like maybe more animated. Street Fighter
0: and, 2 has aged better in yeah. terms of visuals than the original Mortal Kombat. For sure.
1: Uh, and feel and yeah. feel I would say a little Oh too. yeah
0: that's the other thing is <laughs> having played like Street Fighter 2 first. Yeah. I will never get used to uh, Mortal Kombat inputs where it's like
1: down back back down back up down. Yeah or or um uh, doing uh, also the block uh, button alone throws me off. Still. I remember all I would do is like spam sweep and uppercut, <laughs> like to beat characters on hard mode or whatever. Oh, you mean
0: the most effective moves with the widest range? Yeah, How exactly.
1: Uh, and then oh, I remember Mortal Kombat three. All I do is that this Shiva stomp. I was I main Shiva. I guess you could call maining because I would just play her all the time. Or and you I, just
0: like a burly woman, and sh- that was the beginning. There of There you your- go.
1: Well, she would just she would leap into the air and wherever you were, she would just stomp on your whole body. <laughs> it was like this like turbo uppercut, and it seemed like nobody could really defend against it. So I would just like beat every and this is all NPCs by the way. This is or this is all like against the g- computer because I had no friends. But I would uh yeah I'd just spam it over and over and over again. And you could play fucking POG on it. Which- oh, Pong, yeah, yeah, yeah. Pong was the thing. Pong, game. yeah. My my bad, not POG. Thank God you couldn't play Pogs with it. But I definitely had my Scorpion Slammer. Oh, yeah. There
0: was definitely, like, there's no, I don't even know if they had to even, like, consciously make Mortal Kombat Pogs. I think they just appeared for its very, like, it was essential. It had to exist. Also,
1: just, like, needing to, I was reading someone uh, wrote an article about their love for Mortal Kombat. And mentioning that, you know, on day one, the guy's uncle had to uh, call the hotline. And pay, and pay a few dollars to get the blood code to enter into oh, the Abicab? Sega. Yeah, exactly, Abacab, to enter into the- It's a Genesis the... album, get it? That's the yes, it's Genesis. Yes, exactly, it was by Genesis. This was just for Sega Genesis that this existed, by the way. That was crazy, too. It was like, on one day, you had, which this didn't happen, I don't think, quite as much back in the day, you had Super Nintendo, Sega Genesis, Game Boy, and Game Genie versions all released- Gear gear my bad all released on one day um and by the way jake will be doing corrections for me today as (laughs) my brain hurts um but uh, yeah, yeah, it, it was it, it was like so. Again, the secretive nature of it. The there's codes. There, there's this is before the internet. And by the way, this is when I turn into an old man uh, and say this and say, "All right, kids, we had to like actually go to the arcade and and talk to people and like share these secrets. That's the only way to really get across, or maybe call a hotline or do something. You had to like actually really search for this stuff.
0: There was a company that sold custom controllers with uh, memory cards in it that had the uh, fatalities programmed into it so that you could artificially
1: uh, do them without having to learn them all. Oh, wow, that's that's amazing. Because that was the thing, like going to Walmart... Like these people just knew all the fatalities. And so you'd get all excited when some dude came in who uh, knew a bunch of, who had the knowledge and the ability to pull it off in the moment, too, because they weren't like easy necessarily to do, you know? And you had to be certain distances away. It was a whole different thing. I mean, even now in Mortal Kombat X, like you've got, um, you've got like shortcuts things you can do to like easily do the fatalities whereas you know before they never had anything like that i mean you really had to unless you you had what you were just describing you you know you had to practice and you only got one one shot shot to to do it right and and that was if you won the match which you you know you've got to you know earn it so anyways you had to earn it kids you fucking millennials
0: but None of this would have happened if it wasn't for a very specific uh, team of people at a very specific company, at a very specific time and place. And uh, it's all based out of not New York City, not Silicon Valley, not Tokyo, not Kyoto, Chicago Chi-town, baby. is the only place where Mortal Kombat could have happened.
1: There you go. And it was Ed Boon and John Tobias are the two key players. Ed Boon was born and raised in Chicago, Illinois. He received a Bachelor of Science uh, in mathematics and computer science at the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign, so um, not not like some crazy prestigious, but he dude was an eight-bit guy. He yeah, studied he was... on the
0: Atari 800 computer and was uh, he would make little games for himself, but mm-hmm. he was never like confident enough to be a full-fledged video game developer. Though he had an obsession with like uh, early arcade games, especially oddly enough midway williams arcade games like defender and robotron and joust and all that stuff
1: so and and so he answers an ad what was it in a headhunter no, a headhunter head okay. he just uh
0: files you know in his resume he just has i know you know uh fortran and not even c plus is before c plus uh-huh. and was like uh, hey i know all this stuff and i have a minor interest in video games and a headhunter picked him up and was like, how would you like to work for Midway Williams? I, the company has switched names a bunch of times during right. this time frame, so forgive me. But I, will,
1: I will be giving a brief little mm-hmm. attempt at a history of that in just a little bit. But we'll, I, I want to talk about this interview story uh, first because it's amazing. Ed, Ed
0: Boone is like, of course, they're my idols. I loved it. I, I can't wait to program games for this legendary arcade game company. And he shows up for his interview and he gets the job to
1: program uh pinball machines <laughs> so <laughs> so he had no idea that that it was for pinball machines and in fact the guy who what was the guy's name who we interviewed he interviewed with the, or he, he was talking with the guy who programmed joust oh
0: jarvis something
1: he, yeah yeah he he was talking to this guy and he was like uh uh he was like oh yeah yeah um you're here f- to interview for programming pinball machines I was like Oh, do people actually program pinball machines? Like he didn't even know that 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 was a job essentially. And he was like, "Yeah, yeah, it's it's so But especially back in the day, pinball machines were super analog, you know. So I mean, the uh, concept of pro- pro- programming a pinball machine is a little odd, right? Um, and then on top of that, like he's interviewing this guy, and he's like, t- "He's like, so what games do you like?" And he's like, "Well, I really love Joust and this other game Defender." He's like, "Oh, I programmed Joust." And he was like, get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> he had no, he was, and, and, and was really just blown away at the fact that he was all of a sudden surrounded by all the people who make all the games he loves. Um, and
0: is awesome. this is very, essentially important for the culture is that this isn't like uh, a Japanese developer where, you know, they were influenced by Super Mario Brothers and like trying to make computer games this isn't like silicon valley where or euro Eurojank where they were like trying to just see what computers can do this was a pinball company and pinball has a seedy ass history it's based basically just a highly evolved form of gambling it was associated with like degeneracy and <laughs> like uh fucking truancy there was you know there's all these famous lawsuits and uh prohibitions against pinball and midway williams like came through that and you know the things that made a good pinball game weren't like you know replayability it wasn't uh uh, stability it wasn't uh all these things that we think about when we think of like the great values of games it was does it have titties on the artwork and will it keep people popping quarters into it right this is fucking cds get paid get attention midway this is not your this is not like a pretentious, lovey-dovey game dev student. So
1: let's actually go through the history before we uh, talk about John Tobias. Um, so Midway Games, okay? Mm-hmm. Originally Midway Manufacturing Co., and it started in 1958 as an independent manufacturer of amusement equipment founded by Henry Ross and Marcine Wolverton. But uh, they were purchased by Bally in 1969. You may have heard of Bally. Now, the reason why I think people probably associated pinball with uh, gambling was because Bally was a company, like many others of its kind, making pinball and slots. It was there's there's
0: kind of like this middle ground before pinball became formalized as its own game where the flippers were just kind of this distraction novelty to make it seem like it was a game of chance. Mm. I mean, a game of skill when really you were just dropping quarters and the ball landed wherever it would. Ah. And it's from that, like, evolution. So, like, Slot Machines is pinball. Like, they're, they're born from the same tree.
1: Well, and they were uh, born from the Bally tree starting in 1939. And it was a company to make pinball games by Lion Manufacturing, taking its name from its first game, Ballyhoo. And I tried wow. to look up about Ballyhoo, but it was kind of hard to even figure out what kind of game Ballyhoo is but it's definitely like a party, social type of game. Um, Its first games were mechanical. Uh, They also did that puck bowling. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, This is Midway, by the way, which I used to play all the time at one of my favorite bars in Williamsburg. And uh, they had a simulated Western shootout, all very mechanical stuff, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But they got into the arcade video game business in 1973 along Japanese video game publisher, uh, alongside Japanese video game publisher, Taito. Now, Taito, which started in 1953, originally as an importer and distributor of vending machines, then jukeboxes, before getting into the arcade biz in the 60s. Taito, in 1978... Um, came out uh, via designer Toshihiro Nishikado with a game called Space Invaders, and that changed everything. That brought in the golden age of arcade games, and it also got Midway making video games. Midway uh, is the distributor uh, of Taito games in America, and Midway put Space Invaders out, and it becomes a huge deal. Um, uh, uh, Space Invaders was a big fucking deal in America, and it also distributed uh, Namco's pac-man in 1980 along with the unauthorized sequel miss pac-man in 1981 so they essentially just Hit fucking pay dirt. Midway did, and we're like, oh, we make video games now. Like, we we need to focus more on this than any of this. It other should be noted
0: that Taito got the rights to make Midway games in Japan. Yes,
1: yeah, so they're like trading back yeah. and forth. Um, so they merged with Bally's pinball division in 1982 and became Bally Midway Manufacturing. Uh, and then they and they were a leading producer of arcade video games in the U.S. at this time. Now, uh, in 1988, Williams Electronics Games purchases. Midway which moves them from Franklin Park Illinois to Chicago and uh, they absorb Williams' video game division and start making games back under their own name again in 1991 which is right around the time Ed Boone is over there um, programming pinball tables and he meets a man named John Tobias. Now, John Tobias. Uh, this guy loved comic books at an early age, and that led him to taking weekend courses at the Art Institute of Chicago. Are you ready for a fun ass ka 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 crossover? I know which one you're about to to lay down. He was an artist for. Uh, he created the theme song for the Ninja Turtles. You son of a bitch. <laughs> and he loved exploring. You <laughs> asshole. <laughs> Uh, inaccessible to new listeners that's what you're doing i just made three like total references like three other he was an artist for the real ghostbusters comic book series uh john tobias was and he started to become more interested with video games as the graphics were just happening to get a little bit better and a little bit better and a little bit better and he ends up getting hired at midway
0: uh so his like home computer that he actually uh Cut his teeth in was the Amiga, which was this 16-bit yes. monster that is responsible for like the digital arts revolution. Mm-hmm. Like you would not have Pixar, you would not have so much of what we consider now as the bedrock of computer-generated you art. Millennials, uh, without the Amiga. And it just so happened that uh, Midway, their bread and butter, while other companies were still uh, producing 16-bit hardware and you know even 8-bit hardware in the Nintendo, Midway was using uh, this Texas Instruments 32-bit like GPU powerhouse chip that was 32 bits. And because of the work of a guy named Eugene Jarvis, who is this legendary developer who made Defender and Robotron and Cruise in USA and all these other hits for Midway. They had uh, special access to this technology that allowed them uh, basically a patent over taking still uh, videos, which is a weird way. I don't understand why it was still video and not photos, but it was like Super 8 video of live actors and digitizing them into the 32-bit architecture for use as sprites and graphics. And so uh, the game NARC came out, which is this legendarily controversial game uh, cause near as the same amount of uproar as Mortal Kombat did. You're literally running around just shooting prostitutes and drug dealers in the fucking neck. Yeah. Um, killing a lot of dogs. The, the, <laughs> it's, it's, more, it's less the violence against the desperate and uh, and p- impoverished and more. Just how many dogs you have to shoot in oh, that game. Oh,
1: God. Um, Why do they make us kill the dogs in video <laughs> games? Um, uh, here's a note for developers, by the way. Stop making us kill dogs in games. It sucks. I don't care if they're zombie dogs or if they're, like, fucking cat-like or or even wolves. It sucks. Mm -hmm. So Ed
0: Moon is working as a programmer, and he's, like, just working on gameplay mechanics and working on basically how uh, to—it's his job to kind of maximize the efficiency of how you get quarters out of kids. And uh, he's using the digitized technology to make a football game. Whereas uh, John Tobias is working on the classic Smash TV, which also kind of has this larger-than-life violence. Uh,
1: Smash TV is awesome, and you should probably play it. Uh, They actually have it at Barcade in Williamsburg, I believe still, to mention Williamsburg, a second time in this episode. Uh, the original very Twin fun. Stick,
0: sh- oh, no, Robotron, technically, but the uh, the the next generation
1: of Twin Stick shooter. Yeah, it's a Twin Stick shooter. It it uh and it also was uh, based on you know the movie Running Man. So it's a really fun theme where you're on like a really cynical murder TV show that is you know it has a really great like kind of edgy sense of humor and you're just slaughtering people everywhere. And it, you know what it's, the origin holds, of the name? It was? holds up. It holds up. Uh what?
0: Uh, the uh the origin is because the nickname that would developed around the rise of American gladiators was Crash TV. Ah. And so both of these guys are working late and and their respective projects and it's like in a in a kind of quiet moment in the break room they just start talking about how cool this digitized you know, video sprite technology is and how like, you know, it's pretty awesome that we can like get these realistic kind of graphics into our arcade machines. Wouldn't it be cool though, if we could get the sprites as big as possible. So like you could get as much detail in there as, as you possibly can. Like, cause you know, all of our games smash TV, that's so tiny or the guy's so tiny. And in the football game, you have to pack so much information because you have to keep all the teams on screen I guess the way you could do that to you know to keep the most video memory to get the biggest sprites possible would be to do a game where there's only two characters on screen. What's 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 hey isn't that Street Fighter game pretty popular? <laughs> we should do a Street Fighter.
1: And um not to make you necessarily have to go listen to our other uh episode uh, our two-parter on Street Fighter, but uh yeah, Street Fighter smash hit in arcades, really rejuvenated the arcade scene Mm -hmm. in a lot of ways. Actually arcades were becoming less and less popular. Street fighter actually, um, specifically street fighter two, uh, actually brought a lot of people back in. So at that point, definitely fighting games in general were being looked at as the next source of income for a lot of video game makers uh and so definitely they were uh looking to do that and that's how jean claude van damme enters this story for the first time Mm -hmm. (laughs) he will come back again weirdly later actually (laughs) um and so they decide they want to make a game that is based on oh what is it called bloodsport blood bloodsword but also um, they actually wanted to make a fighting game based on Universal Soldier which was a sci-fi uh. movie starring Jean-Claude Van Damme that he uh had, that had just come out so they wanted to capitalize on that you know what i mean so um, they're they're courting Jean-Claude Van Damme they're trying to get him to do it but apparently he was a part of a different video game uh with, for another company that never came out. I'm sure he's feeling the burn from that one. He's also going to feel the burn later on when it comes to the Mortal Kombat series. He made two bad choices when it came to the Mortal Kombat series. I bet you might be able to guess what the other one is. It's gonna be at the end of the episode. Um but yeah he was already in, in negotiations so they were like okay fuck it. We will we will put out a fighting game using the Sprite technology um and we'll we'll even parody uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme with the character of Johnny Cage, this full of himself, Hollywood actor type. That's, you know, too, too big for, for, for his britches and everything. I think it's a little fuck you for him. Not, uh, signing on to, to, uh, to To join them, so the development cycle starts in 1991, and this development cycle is going to last for 10 months, which is un- I hate. Ridiculous. I,
0: whenever we get to the point of how long these old school games took, it's ins- I mean four and people, four
1: people. It is four fucking people. You have, uh, you've got, uh, programmer, um. Who is it? No, you've got Tobias. Ed Boone is the programmer yes. and is working on basically the gameplay mechanics and rule set. The artists are Tobias and John Vogel. John
0: Vogel did the background and as well as ah. additional
1: programming. And Dan Forden is the sound designer. And I what I love about Forden and uh Boone in particular is like these dudes are still doing Mortal Kombat games, which is crazy, because this is 91, right? 92?
0: I mean, uh, Ed Boon famously delivers the classic Scorpion line,
1: get over here. Get over here. Get over here. Get over here. here. Which, I mean, I used to do all the time. That was like my favorite. Definitely when the first game came out, all I ever did was that move. Get Uh, over here into an uppercut felt so there's just something about it. Just felt, ooh, it felt so
0: good. He actually got a Guinness book of like a Guinness world record because technically that's the longest standing continuous gig in video game voice acting. Yeah. But uh t- John Tobias mm. contributes a ton because this is a guy that grew up watching Samurai Saturday on local TV every weekend. And he and his buddies would like get drunk and hang out at these like shitty, like dilapidated theaters and watch like the triple feature Shaw Brothers Hong Kong movies.
1: Yeah, he, he even names uh, Suey Hark as one of his biggest inspirations. This is a guy that essentially he was a, a, a guy from Hong Kong that wanted to combine, like, Eastern kung fu martial art films with Western, big, over-the-top special effects. And that is where we really see movies like uh, Zoo Warriors and another movie called The Swordsman. Zoo Warriors is... It's supernatural fantasy. It, com- it it combines those two things, like I said. It's got vampires in it, and kung fu masters, and devils, and over all this ridiculous stuff. These and gods, and you know, lightning, and fire, and all of these things that we see when we look at Mortal Kombat.
0: A lot of people point to John Car- Carpenter's Big Trouble in Little China as like a very clear parallel, what with like Raiden and like a bunch of other similarities. But it's honestly. Like, it was John Carpenter was watching the same movies as right. John Tobias right. and so like they were definitely drawing from this same pool of of medium budget special effects hong kong action movies uh like you know people like the lo pan character like like they didn't steal shang Tsung from lo pan like that that sorcerer guy is in all of these fucking movies mm-hmm. the yeah the lightning guy is in all of these movies and uh you know John Tobias has a history Uh, writing comic books and drawing comic books so again he's a 90s comic book artist so he is even more in tune with all the stuff that people think are cool what like a teenager would think is cool because he's 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 drawing not only from all these Hong Kong movies for the foreign stuff he's drawing from American comic books in its most extreme period Yes, yes to like it's a perfect cocktail for stuff that would get Nine to 12 year old
1: me bouncing on the bed and just like begging to kill. Because we hadn't necessarily been exposed to these types of movies per se as well. So for us who don't know the influences when this game hits, this game really feels like a very fully realized world built by these creators that have these really unique to us at least and interesting and original characters and character designs, you know, and and that was... That was something that you, you've got to think about as well, like like Scorpion, like having the mask and then taking off and having like the skull, like Raiden in general, just just you know such such a clear takeoff from those movies. But for us, it was like this fucking rad lightning god that just had you know. Not to mention all the story in the game uh-huh. is like told in these
0: brief attract screens that you have to like yeah. run. Like if you actually, if there was, a, I remember there was like if you saw an attract screen that you hadn't seen before, I you I would run full sprint across the arcade just to like try and catch all this precious lore that was coming out of John. So again, Demise you had playing. to like
1: beat the game to get lore mm-hmm. too. You know, so so it was also that uh, added to it. So really trying to dig more deeply, um, but of course it's just a simple idea with a mortal com- uh, or a, a combat competition. A yeah, a martial arts tournament, and you know, a very simple, simple. And and we're gonna get what's fun is we get to have a lot more fun with lore next week, which mm. I'm excited about. There's so much. The Mortal Kombat lore has gotten so crazy, and so I can't. I want to talk about some fun like lore. Stuff next week for oh sure.
0: my god um, so the game uh, that they're working on uh, you know they had a bunch of uh, ideas like Kumite from the uh, blood sport game dragon attack, death blow and uh, even fatality but according to legend a Midway employee Steve Ritchie uh, added the word mortal, To the word combat as it was written on a whiteboard of potential names. And then uh, Ed Boone saw it and put a big fat circle around it. Mm -hmm. And it was like, oh, that's the
1: one. Well, combat was already written on the wall. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Uh, But somebody before he did that, somebody just had the weird idea to change it to a K from a C.
0: No, because Kumite starts with a K. so like Oh, is that what it was? I feel like that's where the, the point. Now they spell everything weird with a K just for like shits and giggles.
1: The way that Boone um, describes it, he was just like, and then somebody just wrote a K over it just to be kind of weird. Mm-hmm. says Boone, uh, I have here. But anyways, also Steve Ritchie, he was a pinball designer and he created gigantor classics on the pinball scenes such as Terminator Two and Star Trek and, and things like that. So or uh uh he was actually he's a big deal. Uh Terminator Two is like one of the most well-liked uh, pinball machines of all time. Um, one of my, you said you were like, you're, it always blows you away when you look at the development time and uh, team size. For me, what's crazy about this process is that they filmed it all on a high 8 camera, yeah. which is not, which is like a pretty basic as fuck camera. Like, uh, you know, it used an 8 millimeter video cassette format. I mean, we're talking about just like a... Video. It's yeah, like a it's video. like a video cassette. It's like a handheld... Kind of, kind of camera, very cheap for this first game, and they would have different actors double up on different roles. Um, okay, so this is key. This is another key contribution by yes. John Tobias. Is, yeah.
0: So they have this idea. They need to digitize. They need to digitize these real actors to do these uh, moves. Where are you going to find a bunch of martial artists? Well, luckily, big time uh, proto weeb and nerd John Tobias knew a bunch of martial artists. Uh, including people like, oh God, uh, including Daniel Piscina and uh, Chris Divisio. Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and Daniel Piscina, he plays Johnny Cage, Scorpion, Sub Zero, and Reptile. Um, uh, the Ho- actor
0: who played Liu Kang,
1: Hosung Pak. Hosung Park also plays Shang Tsung in uh, the game as well.
0: And uh, this is something that's actually always uh, boggling my mind in doing the research. It's kind of amazing. Uh, Originally, Liu Kang was supposed to be this like stoic, like uh, like karate guy named Yoshitsune Minamoto. (laughs) Then that didn't work, so they changed it to Liu Kang, a Shaolin monk. But then, uh, (laughs) but then, Hosung Pak didn't want to shave his head for the role, so he's this Shaolin, like the one Shaolin monk on Earth that gets to keep a full head of hair. Then, like, right then, while they were having that argument, Richard DiVizio uh, was like, fuck it, I'll go bald. And so that's why Kano is bald. Ah, um, And uh, specifically, Daniel Pesina and Richard DiVizio uh, were friends of Tobias. They helped him. Uh, this is a story. This is adorable. Daniel Pesina tells a story about how, as a high school student, John Tobias... Actually needed help for uh, a high school project where he like got access to the AV club camera and he wanted to film a cool like mini Kung Fu movie mm. and he got his uh, friend Carlos piscina who ended up uh, he still works at Netherrealm he does he actually survived and became like the mocap guy for a lot of this stuff. Uh, and Carlos grabbed his older brother, Daniel, along with uh, Rich Divisio and they got in a car and they were going to film in an open field, at which point somewhere along the highway, their car got rear ended. <laughs> the Camera equipment that was in the trunk was destroyed, and John Tobias broke down crying <laughs> while <laughs> waiting for the uh pickup the tow truck to arrive and uh Daniel Piscina uh looked down at his uh his little brother's crying nerd friends and was like, "I think I can drive us home and they drove home in the shattered car <laughs> and like uh so when it was time to get these people, it was you can find this footage uh mm-hmm. you know they're on there's this, a
1: lot of it on, on there's YouTube. there's this gray
0: sound stage uh people of Various abilities uh the woman that played Sonia Blade wasn't even a martial artist; she was just some dancer that they like <laughs> found through a talent agency you know they're like propping themselves up on like stairs and ramps to do the flying jump kicks, yeah, like,
1: the jump kicks were the hardest to do, and uh yeah, they would have them just like on like laying essentially like on in in poses on these like stairs and stuff to do them
0: because this was kind of unknown territory, you know this was. Every single pose had to fit a certain distance. Like, you know, everything had to be highly controlled. That's kind of why one of the main complaints about Mortal Kombat 1 is that these characters all feel the same. Uh-huh. Because, uh, you know, they don't, like each punch is the same distance. Each kick is the same distance. The hitboxes were all the same. It was the special moves that were what differentiated them. Mm. Luke Kang's pants in the original footage has like big logos for like martial arts like comfort wear on them. They <laughs> had to erase. Obviously, uh... Sub-Zero, you know, they didn't get two costumes for Daniel Pesina. Uh, he just had the Sub-Zero costume and they colored it yellow yeah, and colored it green.
1: Did color correction. Really simple workarounds like that. I mean, also the other workaround, the real fundamental one is having very little reference. They they pretty much just took Street Fighter 2 and just iterated on it and just tweaked that fighting system. That's why it, they are so similar in so many ways in the sense that they have sweeps and uppercuts and, you know, they're, it's very aerial as well, and there's just different moves that you can see, like Raiden's moves, a lot like M Bison's. You Kano know?
0: has the Blanka roll.
1: Yeah, like Raiden has the 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 fly across the screen, like uh, M Bison's um, uh, fuck, why can't I think of that move right now? Psycho Crusher. Uh, what? Well, yeah, is it Psycho Crusher. Yeah. So, and um, what they would do is just tweak it. They essentially their main tweak was just adding the edge to it, adding the blood effects, having more brutal fighting techniques, and. Definitely adding the fatalities. Now, um, to do that, uh, essentially what happened was, again, this is a Street Fighter concept that they were looking at and trying to iterate on. And Boone hated the dizzy mechanic in Street Fighter. He really uh, wasn't a big fan of it. Well,
0: hear me out. It's super fun when you get someone else dizzy. Yeah. It's just when you're dizzy and you're just stuck there, you know, kind of impotently flailing at the controls because you just want to fight. That feels bad.
1: Right. Uh, Definitely he liked the part where you get a free hit on your opponent, but he just didn't like it necessarily where it was in the game. So he decides to put the dizzy always uh, in his fights, but at the very end of the fight. And, Now we already know the outcome, but we just get to have this one extra little hit on the guy, and that's where fatalities essentially came from. Tobias says, Our first idea was to use them as a finishing move for final boss Shang Tsung, who was going to pull out his sword and behead his opponent. Then we thought, what if the player could do that to his opponent? When we watched players react to the fatalities, we knew we had no choice but to give them more. Um, And I love this quote from Yoshinori Ono, um, producer of Street Fighter, about the two games, where he definitely throws it shade, by the way, and it's a little unfair, but still. He says, I think Mortal Kombat represents the difference in philosophy. So in Street Fighter, when you're playing, it's the moment-to-moment gameplay that should be the best. Whether you win or lose doesn't really matter. Whereas in Mortal Kombat, the fighting and playing is just a pathway to get to the result. It's the fatality you want to see, and you almost want to skip the fighting bit and get to the fatality because that is the result, Um, which is kind of true. I mean, it was definitely about... It was definitely about just the, the actual, just over-the-top, violent craziness that went on, and especially just like... I mean, I remember just bracing myself, waiting, secretly wanting one dude to beat another dude in an arcade, because if that dude wins, I know he knows the fatalities, and I get to see the crazy bloody fatality, you know what I mean? I mean, I definitely remember just, like, barely anything about, other than spamming sweep and get over here into an uppercut, barely anything about, like, gameplay of Mortal Kombat, I but all I remember was just, like, get to the fatality, get to the fatality, get to the fatality...
0: Hello, my fellow wizards and bruisers. It is me, your host, your number one soft boy, Jake, here to talk to you about this week's sponsor, Keeps.com. Now, I've mentioned that I used to be very self-conscious about my thinning hair, and in order to treat that, I used to jump through all sorts of hoops and pay buttloads of money just to keep it under check. But now, there's a much easier way to go about it, and that's through Keeps. All you have to do is go through a simple five-minute sign-up process. A real doctor will go over your case, and then they'll recommend Recommend one or two clinically proven treatments that do actually stop hair loss and in a few cases might even help you grow back some. Getting started with Keeps is easy. The sign-up process is entirely online and takes just five minutes. You snap some photos and answer a few basic questions, and a real doctor remotely reviews your info and recommends the right treatment. I did my entire signup process from the back of a taxi cab. Uh, my girlfriend helped snap the pictures, whatever. Uh, Keeps offers generic versions of the only two FDA-approved hair loss products out there. And treatment is cheap. It's about $10 to $35 a month, depending on your plan. And now, if you sign up, you can get your first month free. That that's a really good deal. The fact is, the longer you put it off, the more hair you lose and the more hair you don't get to keep. To receive your first month of treatment for free, go to keeps.com slash wizard. That's K-E-E-P-S dot com slash wizard. That is a whole month of treatment for free at keeps.com slash wizard. Keeps. Hair today. Hair tomorrow.
1: Oh, we should also say, by the way, going back to filming the actors, one quick side note, Goro, not a person, is... (laughs) What? Well, it could be a guy in, like, a bad costume or something, but Goro is claymation, was the only non-human character filmed for the game. So, you do have Goro as full-on claymation, but I think they did a damn good job with that Goro... Uh, and I remember, again, like, oh, my God, if you get this far in the game, this fucking monster <laughs> comes out. This crazy-ass fucking monster that's, like, none of the other characters, like, way bigger, way more insane. Um, it's the fact
0: that you couldn't stun him with moves. That, like, you yeah. land the hit and he'd still keep coming yeah, for you. That's
1: fucked with me. He was such a fucker. Um, and he was, like, like, so much more memorable than the final boss even, you know? Like, it was all about Goro.
0: I honestly like I hate it when the when the in almost every game from Tekken to anything is like I'm using other characters moves like oh yeah, wow yeah. you're you use the data that's already on the disk yeah. good for you.
1: Um Yeah, I hear you on that one and they're always in everything. Cuz um, it's
0: easy it's you just you just take the you just move this there. And There's turn on a new character there
1: in Skullgirls. They do it pretty well because uh, yeah. you it just the animation's so cool and the way that sh- the character morphs into all these different things. It's so much less like um, hacky. You know, it's like a really awesome way to do it. It just looks all fucking nuts. Oh also- character.
0: Boone and Tobias were well aware of the controversy they were courting. They were counting on it. Oh, yeah. Their goal was to start a controversy. They were not, like, artists that were like, no, my vision of the head ripping. Yeah. They were like, okay, if we, like, fucking gut them, then, like, someone will definitely, like, put us in a newspaper.
1: Oh, and we should say, these are dudes that are – these are, like, 22-year-old guys.
0: Tobias is, uh, like, 23. Yeah. Ed Boone's a little bit older at 28.
1: So, of course, these guys – like are going to be coming up with the most ridiculous like these guys are more in touch in other words with teenagers of the time than maybe other programmers just because of their sheer age Um, so yeah, they really knew what they were doing. So this game comes out in arcades in 1992 and is a smash hit, almost as big as Mortal Monday, September 13th, 1993, the day that the game hits home consoles. Um, so, um, well, what, well over a year probably in between arcade and release home console. And again, this was back in the day when you didn't necessarily expect games from the arcade to like come into your living room necessarily and this was definitely one where you're like whoa this like evil game and we get to get it and it's going to be and it was so much better because a lot of arcade games by the way people talk about what is it strider right isn't that people talk about strider as a game that was like a full price game so i think games were like 60 bucks back then like they are now
0: the street fighter 2 and mortal Kombat, i actually had to do a little write-up for dorkly about this uh because they knew that every game sold was like one less kid Pumping out quarters in the arcade. Those two cartridges were insanely more expensive. They were like
1: 80 or something?
0: Sometimes 110, 120 dollars in back then money.
1: Whoa. It's just incredible. That's very crazy. That sounds maybe that's why I never owned it and like only ever rented it. Maybe that's why.
0: Entirely possible. But uh, you know, the arcades were still like they still had that pinball edge, that seediness. You know, it was still like in that dusty corner of the Walmart or like in the bar or in the bowling alley. Uh, These places where people were used to seeing like maybe a little bit shadier uh, activity or just like something that for some reason in the context of a pinball corner like an arcade game could be a little bit like uh, mature or bloody or uh, or lascivious there uh-huh. we go that's a fun for sure. word for sure but it's because the fucking evil dragon with all the evil behind it was in your fucking Toys R Us that America went
1: crazy America goes nuts and especially two senators who this game catches the eye of Joseph Lieberman and Herb Cole first of all we, we covered
0: this a little bit in our uh, Grand Theft Auto episode uh-huh. uh huh but it was Nintendo that hired a, a lobbying company because they were so shellacked over the over Mortal Kombat because the Super Nintendo version was neutered. It was censored, yeah. and it gave Genesis this huge advantage not only in just raw sales, but in terms of, like, mindscape and attitude and yeah. totally bought into this entire idea of, like, video games as cool rebellious Were
1: what Nintendo don't at the time and we talked about this as well in the like Sonic versus Mar the the yeah. Nintendo versus Sega episode our very first episode where it was all about that having that edge and that edge was driving a lot of kids over to Sega Genesis it was you know it was and, a big deal and it's so funny because it's literally just a color change from red to like not red but when we were younger it was a big deal it's, uh, it's so weird.
0: It, it's like a very like not to open up that whole can of not to like make it a whole butterfly effect thing. But if it wasn't for that one shift from Nintendo to Sega over Mortal Kombat, like the entire idea of what a gamer is would be completely different.
1: Right, right. There's
0: studies like they the the you know you can they they did all sorts of things to like try and prove that video games make kids violent. And it's not that. Video games make kids violent. All the studies proved was that like stimulating, fun things makes kids hyperactive. Uh Like it doesn't matter if it was Mortal Kombat or like a Dragon Ball rerun or anything. You see someone do cool karate chops. The first thing you're gonna do is run to your friend and try and do cool karate chops.
1: So Lieberman says this about his experience with that evil game: I was startled. It was very violent, and as you know, uh, rewarded violence. And at the end, if you did really well, you'd get to decide whether to decapitate, how to kill the other guy, how to pull his head off, and there was all sorts of blood flying around.
0: Here's the thing. You're trying to make fun of him, but th- that fucking gremlin does talk like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. He's
1: driving uh,
0: fly away. Oh, really? Is that I'm how he talks?
1: Oh, that's so funny. Well,
0: this did. Le- I mean, honestly, you it, don't deserve health care. I'm Joe Lieberman.
1: It led to the ESRB, the Entertainment Software Rating Board, which is not a bad thing. I mean, it's kind of crazy that, again, it's hard to imagine that we lived in an age where movies were had ratings, but games did not. That's so strange to me that like it was that's how Wild West video games were. at that It was that inconceivable
0: state. that yeah. these things that were sold in toy stores would even need a rating.
1: System. You just said that so much like the Princess Bride guy. I, and it made me so happy. I just want to throw it out there. We have to do a Princess Bride episode, by the way.
0: Uh, meanwhile, all this controversy, all this marketing, all this like crazy stuff about Mortal Monday, uh, the team at Midway. They don't get to see any of this because they're like this. As soon as Mortal Kombat is a certifiable hit, selling tens of thousands of units in arcades, Midway
1: puts them right to work to Mortal Kombat 2. Ed Boone says When we finished Mortal Kombat 1, Acclaim did the home version and they sold 6 million copies or something crazy like that. We had already started talking about doing a Star Wars game. And then our general manager at the time came to us and said, What do you mean a Star Wars game? You can't do a Star Wars game. You've got to do another Mortal Kombat game! The notion of sequels wasn't even something that we had entertained. It was just like, oh, you do this game, and then you move on to the next game. Looking back now, it's really silly that we wouldn't have entertained the idea. Um, and of the, I believe Tobias says this, maybe. It might still be Boone. One influence came from the first two Star Wars films for Mortal, uh, Mortal Kombat 2, which makes sense because they were working on a Star Wars game, uh, where you knew that there was an emperor ruling the universe, but knew nothing else about about him, it created a desire uh, in the viewer to uh, want to know more. I think we had something very similar with Shang Tsung and Shao Khan, and for me, that came from that feeling I had when I was a kid. And I learned more about what made the Star Wars universe tick in *Empire Strikes Back*. I wanted Mortal Kombat fans to have that same feeling, and I, you know what, I I liked that a lot. I didn't like, I wasn't like big on the lore, but I did love. The introduction introduction of um, of Shao Kahn over right. sh- over Shang Tsung. Shang Tsung felt like kind of a boring final boss, and in this one they had like crazier Goro, whatever that character. Kintaro, Kintaro, right? Like more insane looking Goro, and then a final boss that really felt much more like a final boss that was like, oh shit, now I'm fighting like the boss's boss, you know, with uh, Shao Kahn. Um, and they they, did get rid of Sonya
0: Blade and uh, Kano because their data showed that those were the two two least least
1: big characters, but they did go from seven characters to 12 with two fatalities for each character. And don't
0: worry about old Richard Divizio because uh, they slapped a gross gorilla, a gross vampire mask on him and he got to be Baraka.
1: (laughs) Um, and it's kind of amazing how I, or not amazing rather, but I just wanted to say like you know, they could have just spun another yarn, but Mortal Kombat 2 really felt in every way like an improvement on the first game. And that was not necessarily expected. It was kind of like Super Mario to Super Mario 3, you know? It would just felt like ma- uh, just like, "Oh my god, not only is this game we everybody loves have a sequel, but in Everything, it looks better, it sounds better, it feels better, everything about it is just on another level that no one expected, and again, it's because, and Boone talks about this, he talked in that interview you sent to me, Um, he talks about how they just had so much energy, because they were so young, and there was just two of them, you know, essentially running the ship, and... Uh, they just fucking w- wanted to go for it on all cylinders and not cut any corners and it so shows Mortal Kombat 2 arguably one of the best games ever made.
0: This is a- another key thing that what uh, differentiated and elevated Mortal Kombat 2 is uh the hiring of an artist named Tony Goski who was brought on to do a di- to do backgrounds for the uh, for the game mm. and it was Tony's vision and Tony's like sensibility that gave like the idea of Outworld this kind of horror tinged, like uneasy, spooky, yeah. visceral place. Yeah. Stuff like the haunted forest and uh-huh. all these other backgrounds uh were basically his vision and he still works at Netherrealm and it kinda and it's on it's Kung Fu comic books and horror, yeah, that really like kind of rounded out the Mortal Kombat uh yes. aesthetic.
1: Yes, yes, that's like the three edgiest things, <laughs> you're right, especially at the time. Like, comic book, you think comic books, you think maybe not necessarily edgy, but at the time, uh huh, blood knife, spawn, yeah. you know, I mean, that's what you had or surrounding you. So, um, they, they also got a lot of equipment upgrades, they got more staff. Um, uh, they, uh, in terms of like just the look and feel of it, it's just more colorful. They also added parallax, uh, scrolling to this one where, you know, the background's moving slower than the foreground, which just gives it much more of a real feeling. Um, they, and then they, they also get to, uh, they also get to work with a $20,000 Sony camera this time. So everything looked better. And even halfway through shooting, they switched, uh, how they converted things to a blue screen, a uh, much more simple, easier, and better-looking way to do what they were already doing, essentially, mm-hmm. um, the 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 uh, digitizing approach, um, and and so all of that stuff was able to be better, um, and and then on top of that, they can make some tweaks. So the juggling that players were able to do to other players, um, the juggling of the character in the air, juggling is essentially when you're just fucking landing hits on the guys so that they can never like. Hit, uh, hit the ground and like reset essentially. Um, so you can sort of just do almost like an infinite, a bunch of bunch of moves or a ton of moves on the guy and re- really take their health down. Uh, that was actually an accident in the first game, much like comboing was an accident in Street Fighter. And so they actually, uh, they, they, they kept it, but they tightened it and they tweaked it and juggling became sort of the combo to Mortal Kombat, you know?
0: And they also added a beautiful man whose beautiful face would interrupt your gameplay to let you know, that that move you just did wasn't just cool. It was red hot. It was
1: dusty. Dusty. Uh, Dan Forden, who actually uh, worked on the first game. We mentioned him before. He is the sound designer that created all of the music for all of the games uh, all the way up until now. It's kind of unbelievable. He's a graduate from Oberlin Conservatory of Music. Uh, he, uh, If you haven't heard the music before, it's very synthy, but it's mixed with or organic um, instruments as well and it just has this kind of almost tribal-ish feel very dark very very brooding um very 90s um and he's the dusty guy uh his head would appear in the bottom right of the corner of the screen after a chain of combos that would usually go into an uppercut he would also say it after scorpion's fatality they've iterated on it like in every single game since then it was such a weird again that adding that and and all of the conversations around what that meant and that you could unlock because you actually could unlock what a fight against what smoke was it? Uh, oh. I can't remember didn't exactly. Didn't even get
0: into the secret characters.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah.
0: Yeah, I believe I believe it was smoke in this one.
1: Uh, it would uh, if if you were on a certain Shit. level and Toasty showed up and you hit the right thing at the right time, it would unlock a fight against oh, the character. Okay. Right? Uh,
0: you could unlock Smoke, Noob, Cybot, and Jade.
1: So add it. So that element adding that element to it not just making the secrets fatalities but adding the element that like oh my god we i don't even i haven't even like seen entire characters yet because i don't know the fucking secret that was such a cool thing that drove you to the arcades not only that they would show
0: up before a fight and drop a weird cryptic clue something like Look towards the Luna, and you will find me. Yeah, and like all
1: this, like all this crazy shit, all this weird shit, and and it really was based on what's the name of the character? I'm I'm really asking a lot of trivia here. What's the name of the non-hidden, actually hidden character in Street Fighter? It's essentially like they. It saw- was Akuma. Uh, was it or ki- Shenlong. Well, Shenlong though. I think they saw that rumor and it's like, how about we make the rumor real? Because yeah. clearly people love this kind of shit. So they added all that stuff. Also, as a kind of a wink and a nod to people like Lieberman and all the parents who went all crazy, they added friendships and Baybay and
0: Baybay or was three?
1: I think they both were added okay. to Mortal Kombat Two. And again, the play it really gave between Toasty and that it gave such a playful nature to the game. So such a fun, like man, these guys. A don't give a fuck. B they're taking the piss now out of. Oh the, no! At the time, the people thought parents.
0: friendships and babalities were this weird, like bend the knee.
1: Yeah, like people uh, really? did not
0: get the joke at the time. Oh, it was I weird. thought it
1: was like I thought. No, I thought now it was it's great. brilliant. Yeah, yeah.
0: So, Mortal Kombat two. Even bigger sales, even more console sales.
1: $10 million marketing. Oh, that was the marketing campaign. Uh, uh, It made $50 million in its first week when it hit consoles. And now, and this is really the first time this starts happening. This was more than Forrest Gump and Lion King made in its opening weekend. Um, uh, And those movies both came out that year uh, that this came out. Uh, The home version came out in 1994 and it had a 10 million dollar marketing campaign we didn't talk about the commercial by the way for the first one for mortal monday which watching that i had so many like flashbacks oh it was just the kids to, screaming in the, the middle and of the empty... people running through the streets and it was like oh, wall oh street God, right uh, it was like yeah, new york just screaming Mortal Kombat, and the and the you know and and it just had such a badass like whoa this is crazy and then this other commercial that came out for this game i also remember and it involves like um uh, you know, Reptile and some of the other guys. Um, uh, and it was such a big deal. Like they really this is really the first time you're seeing video games getting treated on the same level uh budget-wise as as films.
0: In addition to the hype train, uh Virgin America uh or Virgin USA uh worked on a specific project known as Mortal Kombat the album.
1: <laughs> you're so excited about I'm this. I'm so
0: excited about this because this is where you got the song techno syndrome which we now all know as and the team behind it was a band called quote the immortals but in reality it was two of the guys from um uh what was lords of acid <laughs> <laughs> these these crazy ass belgian uh d- uh rave djs That's that awesome. like basically invented uh, entire swaths of techno music together it, and it,
1: that dark like dark evil techno kind of yeah. style was is perfect for that game it's, series
0: it's insane how every single step along the way it just fits this 90s aesthetic uh and i beg of you beg of you to track down this uh, this album on either uh YouTube or uh, or just any way you can find it. Maybe it's on Spotify. I don't even know. Because not only is there the main uh, Mortal Kombat techno theme, every single character from the first game gets their own theme song. And it is just weird Belgian dudes being like, Johnny Cage, America, Hollywood, test your might, be the best. It's <laughs> like followed by like weird. Uh, okay, I'm just going to go through the song list. Um, Johnny Cage, prepare yourself. Kano, Use Your Might, Sub-Zero, Chinese Ninja Warrior. And
1: actually, let's listen to a little of that Sub-Zero right now. Oh, my God. insane.
0: It's amazing. <laughs> uh just revolutionary uh, j- uh trance rave music artists just, just brought on for the fuck of it to add to the train. Uh now this is where things g- uh this is a little bit of a dark spot. Uh so you have uh this incredibly popular game that's making millions of dollars for tons of people, and it's on the back of these performances. It's on the back of these of these cool ass martial artists, uh people like Daniel Piscina. And uh, at the time, they were filming it for, like, you know, $50 an hour of recording time, $75 an hour maybe for the sequel. And, you know, they're being trotted out to do promotion. They're trotted out to, like, take, uh, you know, photos and, like, flyers and making live appearances. And Dana Piscina just, like, kind of says out loud, hey, um, you know, John Tobias is my friend. I did this as a favor to him. You guys said if the game took off, like, we'd see some, like, bonuses and, like, royalties and stuff. Like, can that happen? And Midway was like, no, you signed a four-work contract. We own this face. We own you. Like, get out of here. And so he gets lawyered up, and he sues Midway. and, uh, And in addition to Nintendo and Sega and whoever else. And the army of lawyers that go flying against him in just he doesn't have a chance in the world right they terminate all relations with him and um not only that but like they actively in court press the idea that like nobody gives a shit or would recognize him meanwhile this guy is like walking around people are like fuck yeah it's johnny cage like it's (laughs) daniel piscina is johnny cage yeah yeah Like it's him that's his face not only that but you know the the i i dare say Scorpion, Sub-Zero, like all these guys, it's his body, it's his moves, it's his attitude right. that made these characters iconic. Right. And, you know, they just basically threw him by the wayside. Yeah. And so in Mortal Kombat 3, this which as a kid I remember being incredibly confused, you know, Sub-Zero takes the mask off. Scorpion isn't even there. Johnny Cage isn't there.
1: Right. Because they got rid of him. They got rid of Daniel Pesina. He ends up actually starring in an ad for a fighting game called Bloodstorm uh, as an Which, active Which, by the way, revolt. like,
0: Bone Storm, Like, the most oh, Bone stereo. Storm? No, 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 no. Oh. But the idea, like, right, the Simpsons right, game, Bone right, Storm, right. Like, Thrill House. <laughs> it's like, how do you call your game Bloodstorm? And uh, this was part of a, uh, because there were a lot of amusement companies in the Chicago area all working. Like, basically, Chicago was the pinball capital of the world. And they all had digital games like kind of affiliates. Mm. And they were like when you think of all of the uh, knockoff Mortal Kombat games, it wasn't just chasing a trend. They were hiring the same actors. They were hiring Daniel Bessina. They were hiring all these guys to be in Tattoo Assassins and Realms of the Thea and all this stuff like they like. It was literally competing devs in Chicago hiring the same Mortal Kombat people to make these Mortal Kombat knockouts.
1: And maybe it was partly that that also made them really shift the tone and the look of Mortal Kombat 3. Mortal Kombat 3 becomes a lot more Western. A lot more, um, you know, it has sci-fi stuff. It's got Cyborg and all these androids. It's a lot more like just... It's industrial in a lot of ways and and very very different the from backgrounds the backgrounds
0: have a lot of CG elements. Yeah,
1: yeah, and it just moves away from like the kung fu aesthetic and more into this weird other kind of you are talking
0: about Striker. You're talking about like dumb, dumb stu-
1: stupid Striker and
0: You know the SWAT guy who wears a lycra skin tights uh, shirt?
1: Uh yeah, it's uh, Mortal Kombat 3 it felt a little it was it was definitely the end of the 2D Time for for fighting games in general, on a lot of ways, uh, but it definitely for and, and in video games in general, and definitely was kind of like the end of the road for 2D Mortal Kombat as it was in like the 90s or whatever. It it. Though they
0: got rid of Scorpion and Johnny Cage, uh the actress who played Sonya also wanted more money mm. and they just hired a way hotter lady to play Sonya and nobody
1: cared. The guy who played uh Raiden, he actually was replaced due to his involvement in a little known, awful game that never actually came out called Tattoo Assassins, apparently. No, that
0: was uh that was Carlos. That oh, was, was
1: it? Yeah, Carlos, yeah. Um
0: which was Dana Piscina's brother. Yeah. But he later came back. He is a beloved member of the Nether Realm like family. Oh, awesome,
1: still. awesome. Um
0: Because he didn't go ahead and like, like, file a fucking lawsuit.
1: And, and fans were a little bummed out. Like, uh, they, they didn't like that Scorpion and, and, like, Katana were no longer in the game. That, that they, they felt that the new character designs were campy. They were starting to get sick of the different variations on fatalities. That was starting to really... Uh, Run its course for people, um, and especially with like the It's like, oh, now here's animalities, and here's this, and it's just like, well, you kind of did the variation thing last time, and this isn't really that interesting, you know. And what once I mean?
0: Motaro, really, really, we're doing Motaro now. Is that mm? it,
1: it? Was just, just not quite as good. They ended up actually releasing Ultimate Mortal Kombat 3 later that same year. Um, uh, Tobias claims that that was actually done to keep the arcade version fresh because the uh, sooner than usual home console release happened uh for Mortal Kombat 3 it was just it was out really fast after it hit arcades which essentially pissed arcade owners off because they were like oh well why would they come out and play the game if they can play it at home uh so arcade owners actually got the option to upgrade to Ultimate Mortal Kombat 3 for free but it also really was a way for them to add back in Jade, Katana, Reptile, Scorpion, Classic Sub-Zero, Ermac, and Melina they just needed to get these characters back in there they had some new backgrounds. They had Scorpion's Lair slash Hell um, and some different modes and everything like that. But it definitely was like kind of like a make-nice, I think, in a lot of ways due to fans being disappointed at the roster and, and, and different things like that. Um, so, yeah, that was – and I remember even when I got it, I was so excited for Mortal Kombat 3 on – I don't even know if I'd played it in arcades because I think it did come out very quickly. Arcades
0: after. were kind of re- – like this was the time where like – they had to add a bunch of weird plastic accessories to everything just to like make it unique enough yeah. that you d- you didn't feel like you could just play it at home. And
1: I feel like I acted like I liked it, but deep down I kind of knew it wasn't as good as two. They you added I mean?
0: that run button because they thought it would balance the out button. the um the people that block too much in the older yeah games. yeah yeah.
1: But can we talk about the movie real quick? Because um, I want to talk about the movie real quick.
0: I want to, I want to briefly bring up the, the lawsuit, Wilson versus yes, Midway yes, Games. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, because it was in 1997 where a 13-year-old Noah was killed by Yancey Salazar, uh, who was also 13. Salazar stabbed Wilson in the chest with a kitchen knife and severed his aorta, leaving Wilson to die after an hour of blood loss.
1: Why are you bringing that up? Why are you bumming me out, dude? The
0: victim's mother, Andrea Wilson, sued Midway, alleging that her son was killed due to Salazar's strong interest in Mortal Kombat.
1: Why are you bumming me out, man?
0: She claimed that Salazar became so obsessed with the game that he thought that he was himself the character Cyrax, and she claimed that the fatality that Cyrax used to stab a character in a headlock and stab him through a chest was, in fact, what inspired the murder.
1: Well, to be fair, Cyrax does rule the school, so I love Cyrax back in the day. It
0: was Judge Janet Bond-Artenton who presided over the case, and it was tried at the United States District uh, Court of Connecticut, and the court ruled that uh, the state cannot claim upon the relief that was granted because um, that fatality does not exist in the
1: game. Ah! <laughs> That's amazing. Um so uh Mortal Kombat the movie uh, directed by Paul W.S. Anderson who also made the Resident Evil movies he made Event Horizon he made that terrible Alien vs. Predator movie uh,
0: by Alien vs. Predator movies it's a great
1: one uh, (laughs) that's true he's a British guy whose first gig was uh, writing on a crime drama comedy series called El Cid and his first directing job was his own script an action crime drama called Shopping starring Jude Law in his very first film role Uh, and this movie he gets into Sundance and gets American eyes on his work and uh, he also happened to really love playing Mortal Kombat in arcades and he gets the job for the Mortal Kombat movie because shopping it just had this really great visual flair but on a really tight budget um, he actually didn't know a lot about filming fight scenes and stuff weirdly enough That's he amazing. had to really learn a lot on on the go on the set. Uh, so it was written by Kevin Droney, who uh, ended up writing a bunch of terrible stuff like High- the Highlander TV series and a movie called Wing Commander. Um, he actually stopped writing back in 1999. He didn't really do a whole lot. But There's the- a weird
0: Highlander Mortal Kombat connection uh, that
1: keeps coming up. Yeah? It's weird. Yeah. Um, And so, this movie is based on the first game, but you have a couple of elements from the second game also in there, notably Shao Kahn as a tag at the very end, certain special moves that you didn't see until later, um, that sort of thing. Cameron Diaz was actually going to be Sonya, oh, but uh, she broke her wrist before filming began. She was going to be Sonya. Uh, Brandon Lee was the first choice for Johnny Cage until his death on the set of the crow so then they offer it to jean-claude van damme jean-claude van damme though he had to turn it down so that he could go make the street fighter movie and we all know how that turned out so this is the second time he got burned by saying no to mortal kombat next time somebody asks you to fucking do something for mortal kombat you dumbass, say yes
0: now do you think jean-claude van damme would have ruined mortal kombat or do you think he would have elevated it
1: I don't know. It would have been hard for Street him Fighter, to In Street Fighter, it's it.
0: very funny hearing him in his weird yeah. accent.
1: I think it would have been, it's a weird, I don't know why Johnny Cage, because I guess he couldn't really play anybody else. The, I mean, it's
0: literally the same initials. It is a blatant one-to-one homage.
1: But he's so, Johnny Cage is a super American, I feel like. Mm-hmm. He's super, He he's a Hollywood action star, but a, a way more like uh, American dialect Sounding action star, I feel like, at this point. But anyways, I don't think it would have ruined it because that movie is uh not about the acting or anything like that. Um what makes that movie special we'll talk about in just a second because I loved it. I was there opening night and had a fucking blast. It was so much fun. I
0: hate that I didn't have enough time to rewatch it before before. Re-recorded. I watched
1: I rewatched it recently because I was like my stoner roommate kept bringing home this, like, stoner dude she was sleeping with years ago. And he was, like, legitimately, it was his, like, favorite movie. And he legitimately, it was kind of funny because I had to try to talk to him about it while in the back of my head being like, it's a great, dumb, bad, great movie. But he legit- legitimately felt it was, like, really good. You know what I mean? It was, like, like it was, like, really oh, good stuff. Oh, 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 it was very oh, funny. Oh, 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 oh. Um Dude, when that played in the theater, like, I'm telling you, man, it was so loud. It was so raw. It was like one of the first times I feel like, maybe ever, too, that I, like, cheered in the movie theater. It was so hyped. And, honestly, you know, I loved that it was super committed. It was so self-serious. And those fight scenes were legit badass. And they really... I mean, it is, people argue, right, that it's the best video game movie ever made, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that that even though it's not a good movie necessarily, it's still the best video game movie. Because
0: what they did was they actually put what people liked about the thing yeah. on the screen. it felt like they- there un- were ninjas. It felt
1: like they, they understood. They had the get over
0: here quote.
1: Right. Yeah, it just felt like they understood what people wanted. And the Gorosuit, which is wanted.
0: literally the last great work of uh, practical effects and animatronics before CG took over.
1: And actually, it makes sense that they understood what people wanted because they actually w- uh, ended up adding a bunch of fight scenes in after. Like, Reptile was wholesale added after focus groups.
0: Oh, the Emperor scene was added. After the testing. Yeah. Um,
1: So they really were keeping an eye on what people wanted. And it was a big hit. I mean... Oh, by the way, filming was only four months long. It was done mostly in California and Thailand. It released at number one in the box office. I don't think it was that very expensive to make. And it, it still stands. This is one of the best video games movies of all time. I'm still perplexed. I still can't get
0: over uh, Christopher Lambert as the Japanese God of Thunder, it's right It's so him.
1: funny, dude. It's so all you that. have
0: to help the Earth realm. Yeah. Uh, it's oddly enough, okay I don't know if we won't get into this next week but uh it was uh Christopher Lambert played Ryden in the movie whereas in the uh shitty animated series that aired on basic cable uh uh Clancy Brown played Ryden in the cartoon ah so
1: is this weird Highlander connection so there you have it I think that that is a great place to stop for our part one of the Mortal Kombat. Series. Uh, This was a lot of fun. Really brought back a lot of memories for me. This was a game that was such a played such a huge part for me in my teenage rebellion years. Uh, back in the day So it was really great To finally get to cover it And now Next week I'm infinitely curious uh, uh, About the story I mean I know We're covering a lot More games next week But I feel like We'll spend less time On a lot of the Really bad ones And more time On maybe nine No way man
0: t- all, all We're doing a whole episode On Ultimate Alliance <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, But it's gonna be Interesting to read About the story of. How- I got Shinnok thoughts Alright I got thoughts On Shinnok I mean, the fact that it survived through so many clunkers is really shocking. And, oh, boy, do we get to dig into some juicy, juicy lore. So I'm very excited about that. Um Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to uh, support us further, patreon.com forward slash whizbrew. And you can follow me on Twitch at twitch.tv forward slash holdenatorsho.
0: You can follow me on Twitter at bestjakeyoung. And check out the cartoon show Cartoon Hell at uh, at College Humor's new dropout.tv. It's, it's like Netflix, but worse and cheaper. Um, <laughs> Also uh hey you there listening on your device uh use that device to leave a review please. on uh, your podcast so ad. helpful it genuinely in terms of visibility it's the easiest fastest best way you can help us out right now and we will appreciate it and give
1: you sweet kisses all right well tenderest tender Oh, smirches. okay jake please
0: oh but then i'm then it's going to let you on fire like sonya blade cuz i'm
1: too hot get over here dusty Raiden.